0: Hello, and welcome to the RA podcast at Manchester Metropolitan University. My name is Martin Kratz. June's series of episodes will explore the intersections of science and art. In our fourth and final interview, I will speak to Dave Griffiths about storytelling and the similarities between microfilm and web navigation for communicating ideas.
1: There's a need for that literacy in both the cultural and uh, responsible science literacy also.
0: You can join the conversation on Twitter by hashtagging Ra underscore podcast. So let's get into our fourth episode in our science and art series. Hi, I'm here today with Dave Griffiths, Senior Lecturer at the Manchester School of Art at Manchester Met. What I was going to start with was, in your case, Dave, what's the science that you 're interested in, and what 's the art element of it
1: so I mean I first became interested in in observation, the type of scientific observation performed in a number of different ways by astronomers and by archaeologists, you know which is involving looking out into quite deep time scales and the The kind of looking that um, archaeologists and astronomers do is a form of narrative and uh, is a form of storytelling and um, so I started becoming quite interested in the similarities between art and science and uh, at the time my my practice was emerging out of a body of work where I'd I'd been cataloguing and uh, I I was using um, found footage to make a body of work and it, it occurred to me through this that I was I was kind of enacting a form of of seeing, of durational observation that was similar to both, both of those scientific practices. And um, this then moved into a kind of a, almost like a new body of work when I discovered this archaic medium of microfilm. And I became really fascinated by the specific qualities of microfilm and its ally microfiche which were at one point a dominant media for depositing library industrial, cultural information and I started to wonder how could I as an artist rework this um, this medium in an interesting ways that, that maybe counter the dominant use of that medium in very rigid and ordered formats and how I might be able to use the uh, the format to create things like zines or kind of interactive artworks.
0: So one of the zines that's um, deep field is a is a zine on microfilm.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, deep field unclear zine. Well, actually, the 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 title unclear zine is a, a sub sort of mistranslation of the words nuclear zone. A project discusses the very deep time storage of spent nuclear fuel in repositories, uh, underground and uh, sort of uh, surface repositories. And some of this, the most potent of the the waste fuel has to be secured away from humans for at least 100,000 years, which is just an unbelievably unimaginable timescale. And um, how do we communicate those repositories to future beings on the planet Earth for that length of time? Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting question of uh, of knowledge transfer to a future audience that's completely unknowable. So microfilm is, is a format that will only really last for 500 years. But even then, that is... Potentially more stable than the digital methods that we are cur- currently using, such as pdf it 's
0: quite an interesting term to use the term unstable in terms of nuclear waste and things like that from a kind of poetry perspective. those kind of nuclear installations are really interesting because of course you 're looking beyond the lifespan of a language or most languages as we 've known them, mm-hmm. so you have to kind of think beyond language or kind of or back to the basics. Yeah it is it is unimaginable or at the very least it's an incredibly demanding imaginative task so how do you where do you start with something like that
1: back in the 1980s there was a cold war semiotician thomas sebioc who proposed that um, this kind of deep time remembrance of the nuclear legacy could be achieved through an invention of mythology and folklore to effectively scare the public into keeping away from sites of geohazard. This was debunked in terms of its its real deep distrust in the human ability to actually take responsibility. So myself and a n- number of other contemporary artists are thinking through a more of an intergenerational approach to communicating and allowing for the potential like you mentioned, the transformation beyond recognition of language. In my work's case, I've deliberately invented a preposterous myth that uh, almost pokes fun at that Cold War semiotic approach.
0: Well, I guess in terms of um, science and communication, is this where your work intersects with that of Sam Illingworth, who we've also recorded for this you co-wrote something called Deep Time Moles. There's a great
1: image. Well, the... we did the town that I did the field work in was actually called Mole yeah. in northern Belgium, and um, also in the town I saw figures of moles everywhere, and moles wearing glasses of an, an optician shop, and a mole carrying a briefcase as a statue in the central square. As part of the field trip, I descended into the research lab that is testing the potential for burial of fuel 225 metres below the surface of the village, much like maybe a mole's burrow. And uh, I I was also at the time reading um, Haraway, and um, she talks about the use of science fact and science fiction, and the celebration of the use of science fiction as a way of countering the the dominance of of techno science and and these kind of mega projects of allowing space for a different narrative and haraway uses the figure of onko mouse as a storytelling medium so i decided i wanted to create a figure of a of a mole and this is where sam came in along with a diy comics artist called matt gerling so the three of us together developed the the Onco Mole character who appears in the in this microfilm zine popping up at different places and times in the near uh, and far future.:
0: And the figure of the mole is great anyway, because I think more often than not you never see the mole. It's always there underground. You only ever see its traces. For me, that's something a bit about the nuclear and its presence in our lives, that it's kind of always there present, but also not the same time is, is there a necessity do you think of kind of making it visible of kind of reminding ourselves that it's there
1: well I think that the responsibility of an artist is to speak to those, those sorts of troubles that um, were socially all responsible for creating in some ways as you know consumers of energy artists should have a voice and agency in critiquing those issues and those, and narrating those troubled places where the the controversy is is unfolding, really, and the the crisis is unfolding.
0: I'm going to ask a really naive question now. In my head microfilm is, I don't know, for some reason, an image of something like a detective or a journalist in a public library looking up oh. old articles on microfilm. And the way you navigate it is kind of, rather than having flicking through the pages, it's all effectively on one big surface mm. that then you negotiate around mm. like a kind of hovering eye. Is that right?
1: Yeah. The microfilm is a 35 millimeter film strip, which seems quite a linear format. But microfiche has this non-linear browsability. And it struck me very as being very much like early website browsing. But microfilm itself, was, at its beginning, was in neither of these formats. And it was actually a technology that came together in Manchester in the 1830s to 1840s, right uh, in an optician's shop on Cross Street. It was uh, the innovator JB Dancer who used magnification to expose a miniature photograph. And then this technology became probably for about almost the first 40 or 50 years of its life was simply a novelty and souvenirs. And then it really came into its own in the 20th century um, through its use as communication in war and in spying... That's why I associate
0: it with, spying, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then later on in to deal with the exponential growth in knowledge after the Second World War and the the amount of academic journals that were being published, for instance.
0: There is an impulse to kind of compare it to the web. But I think for me, the big difference is that kind of tactile interface of it. That stays with me. The, The other thing that I sort of noticed was when you first started talking about deep time, was this link between the archaeologist and the astronomer, or the geologist perhaps as well. Now these are the, the kind of people who are... It's the same kind of question, but one person's looking up and the other person's looking down perhaps mm. or something like that.
1: Mm. Working with professional scientists, for me that was when this, these similarities between f- forms of scientific observation and seeing, looking, durational looking and storytelling became really, really apparent Sam Illingworth and I now collaborate on an art science option as part of the postgraduate taught programmes here. And uh, we encourage students to tell critical stories about both art and science and to look at the similarities in research methods. And it's resulted in a couple of fantastic exhibitions by the students, who um, many of whom are forced to choose at the age of 17 between an art or a science education.
0: Is that something of your own experience? I mean, do you remember the point at which you were made to choose?
1: My uh, secondary school was a very, very science orientated, and I had to go and do my art A levels and education elsewhere. I remember being baffled by chemistry, but not physics.
0: It's the same yeah. for me. I, yeah. I think I think it's an important point to make there because I, I enjoyed biology a lot, but chemistry and physics were not my thing. But it felt like you needed to ditch all of them.
1: Mm. Yeah, and in, in an increasingly um, sort of algorithmic condition that we're, you know, living in and moving forward into, there's a need for that literacy in both the cultural and uh, responsible science literacy also. And that's the responsibility of educators.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a good point to end on. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter for future podcast updates. You can find us at MMU RA. For more information on all the research and events we discussed in this episode, please go to the RAW website for full links. If you haven't already, do go back and listen to the other episodes in the Science and Arts series. Tune back in soon for more episodes. This episode was produced and edited by Lucy Simpson presented by me, Martin Kratz, and mixed by Julian Holloway.